Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 45, and last Sunday's message was titled Up Close and Personal. There's a lot of good stuff in there, and I always say that if you, especially Isaiah, if you're here from Isaiah 1 through Isaiah 66, even if you're not here on a Sunday and you go home and get it for free the next day or get it on CD, if you follow it all the way through, you're going to find uh, apologetics in there, you're going to find the physical sciences, you're going to find... Um, you know, about the universe, prophecy. Uh, Isaiah just has so much in there. So if you get it, your message from 1 to 66, people often say to me, Pastor, I need you to talk to my coworker. They're science-minded, and I do that, and I will do that. But again, just what I said uh, during bulletin time, you can also do that. God has provided you with the tools for life and godliness. So a great book to go through. Pretty much everything is covered in Isaiah. And this morning, the message is titled, A New Era. Uh, And it was a new era for the children of Israel. They were unfortunately uh, conquered by Babylon in 586 B.C., expatriated to the Babylonian kingdom. But a good thing was coming where God was going to raise up Cyrus the Persian, this great Persian conqueror who in 539 B.C., right, was going to uh, conquer Babylon and end up freeing the Jewish people. So a new era for them, but you know, there's a new era for us as well. You know, you might have come in here really not knowing a whole lot about God. Maybe you're looking for a church. We are a community church in the middle of a busy, uh, pretty much area, but you know, you, you're looking for something, right? There's something missing in your life. There's a God-shaped void in your heart, and you're here. And who knows, maybe through the message today, uh, he's speaking to you, and for you it'll be a new era from this point forward, and it's an exciting thing to walk with the living God. So we're going to look at this in five parts, and we're going to jump in, Isaiah 45, verse 1. It says, Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him, and to loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors, so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places, that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel, for Jacob my servant's sake, and Israel my elect. I have even called you by your name. I have named you though you have not known me. This actually prophecy was written some 150 plus years before Cyrus the Great was even born. That's how powerful this is. We've been going through archaeology. We've been going through the bulla of, uh, the bulle the of Hezekiah and Isaiah, all the archaeological proofs to prove that this actually existed. And of course, you can look up secular history. History is history, but I like to say secular history for the skeptic, and you can find that everything the Bible says, you can find these, these historians say exactly, word for word, parallel what the Bible states. It says, so he says, I have named you, though you have not known me. God already knew his name, put it in Scripture before the guy was even born. I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. So one out of five is that the Lord uses Cyrus the Persian. I just love history. I love going through various sources. I love looking at even how some framers of the Constitution admired Cyrus the Persian. Yeah, did you know that? Uh, I look at how the representative government systems in Greek and Roman times affected the forming of our nation. So sometimes if we're just in the American bubble, we don't realize there's a whole world out there. 
And history is very rich. So verse 1, it says, I open before him the double doors so the gates cannot be shut. Now, this is fascinating because I talked to you about how the Medo-Persians, they go up to Babylon, which the ruins are still in Iraq today. The city was built over the Euphrates River, which was an incredible engineering feat for ancient peoples. Um, They built it with 300 high-foot walls with gates, uh, they, because they built it over the waters, they could go fishing within the city while the outside gates were locked and shut from you know, marauders and such. They could get potable water from inside the city, and then at night they would drop these large gates into the water so if somebody tried to um, use a boat or swim underneath, that they couldn't get like a Trojan horse inside of the city. So here's what's fascinating. When Cyrus and his men, the Medo-Persians, came to conquer Babylon, they, very smart, they dug all these trenches, and then they dug it right up to the the Euphrates, and for a time they diverted the Euphrates River into these trenches, so the water uh, bed started to drop. So they came in, probably chest high, even with their horses underneath the city, and the gates were left open. Now, if the gates were, were closed the Babylonian forces could have rerouted them, undid the trenching, and could have drowned this Medo-Persian army. But what God was saying was, I called Cyrus, and I left the gates open. Now, there's a whole political thing about why the gates were open, and you can see different historians say different things, but the bottom line is God said the gates would be open. You'll get in. So the Medo-Persians got inside the city, and um, Belshazzar, the king, was a real jerk, but he was having this drunken party And everybody was drunk, including the soldiers, so they caught off guard. So the Medo-Persians that night took Babylon. Pretty impressive, isn't it? A lot of people read the Bible, and they read these little things, or these little verses, and they're like, I don't even know what that means. But when you start taking it and paralleling it with history, it makes perfect sense. So the Lord used Cyrus the Persian. Verse 3, he says, I will give you treasures of darkness and hidden riches of the secret places. Here's the truth. Cyrus had no idea of the bounty he was going to find in Babylon. The gold, the storehouses, he had no idea. He actually found the gold that the Babylonians looted from the temple in Jerusalem. So the gold went from Jerusalem to Babylon to Persia, but the Persians, because of God, showed favor on the Jews, and they actually gave the gold back to the Jews, including supplies and weapons and food and Uh, And they sent them back home to rebuild Jerusalem. Never happened in history. Never happened in history. Verses 4 through 5 repeats, I have called you by name, though you have not known me. Again, before Cyrus was even born, God speaks about him, what he would do, and what his name was. Right? But he would also be held accountable for knowing God. Now, if you follow, again, the Scripture Uh, and you look at the prophecy of Daniel, which we covered, which was a a great book to cover as well. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of his life, is converted. He he gives homage and and faith to the living God. Now, I don't know what happened. Unfortunately, after Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he had some successively bad kings, uh, and that wasn't Nebuchadnezzar's fault. But uh, Cyrus the Persian, it does seem that he has an affinity towards the God of the Hebrews which was obviously the only true God back then and still is today. Verse 7, he says, I create darkness and calamity. Now, the Persians, again, had a dualistic concept of God. Right? If you, it's actually rooted in Zoroastrianism. So we're actually talking about the, the country of Iran, which was Persia before it was called Iran. It was Zoroastrianism. They had an affinity towards the God of the Hebrews. Uh, Many became Christians after Christ. And then, of course, in 1979, the forcible uh, conversion, the Islamic Revolution, changed all that. But that country had a very, very rich history. Okay? Okay, so God is addressing the Persians, remember. Uh, So the Persians have this dualistic concept of God. Number one, their god, Ahura Mazda, was their god that created light and good. They had another god, you can look this up, Angramenu, who created darkness and bad. But what God is telling him in his word, because he's witnessing to the Persians, because uh, Cyrus eventually reads this scroll and he sees his name in there. And you could imagine he was curious about reading the whole thing after seeing his name written 150 years or so before he was born. 
So God is saying, I'm the only God. And whether it's calamity because of discipline that needs to happen, or it's reward because of good behavior and blessing, it's only me. I'm the only one who does these things. So he's kind of taken a shot at this dualistic uh, idea of the Persians and their God system or their pantheon. Now, if we could turn to Ezra 1, 1 through 3, different book, different time period from Isaiah. He speaks about this historical context. And in verse 1, he says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah, because Jeremiah also prophesied about this, might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? May his God be with him. Now let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever remains in any place where he sojourns, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Again, for the skeptic, because you know we're now on, on video and we go out, people get hits from different parts of the country and even the world. But for the skeptic, was it um, Raul Reese? He was actually a very violent man and uh, became, he got saved by watching Chuck Smith on TV give an altar call. Uh, so again, you know, the Word of God is powerful. Sometimes a skeptic will turn on the TV or click on and, and they're, they're empty or even suicidal. And they hear, you know, it's, boy, I tell you what, in, in the hotels, uh, so many uh, testimonies, people that were going to take their life with a, with a firearm, and they see a Bible in a hotel nightstand, start reading it, and put the gun down and turn to the living God. So this is an amazing thing that we read about this historical situation and this witness to the Persians. Now remember, uh, I've shown, and, and we've done so much archaeology here on Sundays, the Cyrus Cylinder, which is revered by archaeologists as Cyrus's cylinder. It's his historical account imprinted on on a clay cylinder that was dug up in that area. Uh, It reinforces what's said here. Josephus, the Roman historian, Antiquities of the Jews, chapter 11, he says the same thing. I read this to you last Sunday. So you have all these proofs proving that Cyrus did these things, which is fascinating. And when I talked about the uh, Servant's Pyramid, which we had up, and Cyrus being at the bottom rung, God does use unbelievers to accomplish his will, which is an awesome thing. Uh, And sometimes through using them, he uh, reveals himself to them and they actually become saved. But folks, if we're believers, we're also on that servant's pyramid. You know what I'm saying? Since Christ, we're called to serve the living God. Everyone here has a purpose. Everyone here who has accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior has spiritual gifts that God has given you. I tell you what, if you're, if you're a seeker and you're on the cusp and you come to Christ today, it's your option. God has given you free will. He has given you not only natural abilities, but He's given you spiritual gifts to use for His glory. That's very exciting to me. Continuing on, verse 8. It says, Rain down, you heavens, from above, and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open. Let them bring forth salvation, and let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to him who strives with his Maker. Let the potsherd, or the clay, the product of the, of the, of the, you know, the potter, right? Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Now just think of how odd this is. God uses these metaphors where he's uh, sort of anthropomorphic, where he's giving life to inanimate objects if they could speak. So how odd would it be for a potter to make a vase and for him to say to you know, the guy who's making it, the potter, Why are you, what are you making? Or shall your handiwork say, he has no hands? In other words, he didn't make me. He's got no hands. Today, people will see, and we covered this in Romans 1 last Sunday, about even the, the, the simple creatures of the earth and the plants and the flowers and the, the information inside of them. 
And how would they keep replicating information, the photosynthetic process, insects, bees, ants, the intricacies of them, how they can do things that we can't in the dark. It's an incredible thing with pheromones and, and uh, the, the genetic information built into them. Um, and people still say there is no God. I think that people are more agnostic than they are atheist. I just think that they don't want to be accountable to a God. The more you learn about science and and, and the formation of the earth and the uh, electromagnetic field and the distance from the sun and all these different parameters and one atmosphere of pressure, you only come to one conclusion that somebody tweaked and fine-tuned all this stuff. Well, we'll continue. Woe to him who says to his father, what are you begetting? What are you making, dad? Making you. (laughs) Or to the woman, what have you brought forth? He says to the woman, what have you brought forth? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and his maker... Right, the Holy One of Israel asked me of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands. You command me. I have made the earth and created man on it. It was I, my hands that stretched out the heavens and all their host I have commanded. I have raised him up in righteousness and I will direct all his ways. He shall build my city. Right. So the maker is now speaking to the ones that are made that are sort of arguing with him. And God does this through his word, trying to reason with them and sometimes correct them if need be. He's basically saying, I raised up Cyrus. I know you would want to, you know, listen, people are nationalistic. I know you'd probably want a Jewish conqueror. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. But I've chosen this Gentile pagan to raise him up to free you to go back home. And they had an issue with that, right? There's a lot of that going around. <laughs> There's a lot of... Again, questioning of God, second-guessing God. If I was God, I would do this or I would do it that way. But we're not God. He sees a a million steps ahead of us. We only see what's right in front of us. He knows the future. I will direct His ways. He shall build my city, because Jerusalem was in ruins at this time, and let my exiles go free, not for price nor reward, says the Lord of hosts. He's not a mercenary. I raised Him up. I anointed Him to do these things. So two out of five is that in the Lord's sovereign rule, the Medo-Persians would be the new kids on the block. They would be the new up-and-coming dynasty that was going to conquer Babylon, right, and reign righteousness and salvation on the Jews. Now, you might say to me, whoa, those words are powerful. I know what they mean. Well, let's look at this. There are times that when you read the Scripture, you can read, well, again, I'll go back to my Hebraic Roots Bible, or I'll go to my um, Hebrew and Greek lexicon. I'll look up the Hebrew word, and it'll give me like seven words that are in the semantic range. One is the most prominent, but other meanings that it could be that are very closely associated. So, in Hebrew, righteousness can also mean equity and prosperity. Well, the Jews, when they were freed by Cyrus, all of a sudden had equity and prosperity. Salvation can also mean liberty or deliverance. Well, they were certainly delivered. And it was like it rained down because tens of thousands of people, even by secular historical sources, up to 50,000 or more left Babylon with all these supplies, went over 1,000 miles west and repopulated Jerusalem. That was a miracle. If you lived back to that time, there'd be so much excitement that people couldn't contain themselves. Uh, but under the Medo-Persians, after the 70-year captivity, they would go home and build their, their temple, their sacrificial system, and their walls of Jerusalem. Let's look at this for a minute. Because i got to be honest with you, I'm just going to speak for myself, because I'm going to speak for myself, the Christian community, the Jews at the time, even our culture. We get into this habit sometimes of looking at a situation and like, God, what are you doing? I've been praying about this, you know. Well, it went the wrong way. Like, it's crazy, isn't it? And we're not saying it with our mouths, but we're implying it with our behavior that I know better than you, God. Listen, I sin. I'll just admit it. There's things I pray about and and something happens in the reverse and I don't get it. But I'm not God. (laughs) And at the end of the day, I have to come to that realization. So verse 9, God speaks of the foolishness. I've been there. For the creation to argue with its creator. Now, in the world today and in our culture, there's a a spirit that's pushing America into a post-Christian culture. It's demonic, and it's very forceful. What are we going to do about it? Well, we're not going to call to arms. That's not what the Bible says. We need to be praying for our culture. We need to be learning about the Scripture. We need to be building bridges, maybe with people that are not like us, that maybe we're intimidated by. 
A lot of things that we're called to do as believers. Um, you know, so we, we look at this, the metaphors is the clay saying to the potter, what are you making? The child saying to its parents, you know, imagine a, a baby coming out, right? They can't talk for a while. A little infant coming out and saying, mom, what are you doing? <laughs> Why did you make me like this? So these are these metaphors that sound bizarre, but they're also bizarre in a spiritual context. They're also bizarre in a cultural context. Now, again, taking this with historical context, the Jewish people, were some of them were offended that a Gentile was going to deliver them and not one of their own raised up. God has his ways. He has his reasons. Um, Jesus in the first century, a lot of the religious echelon, the ones that went to all the rabbinical schools, they read the, the scripture. They knew that the Christ was coming in the first century. They knew that it was close. But when Jesus was raised up and he did miracles and he raised people from the dead, once he made it clear he wasn't going to overthrow Rome, they rejected him. Again, it's the clay saying to the potter, I know better than you. There was this nationalistic fervor. If you look at the prophet Habakkuk, he was highly offended that God was going to do the Babylonians to chastise them or use the Babylonians. Jonah was... was (laughs) apoplectic about the fact that God was going to save some of the Assyrians. These were bloodthirsty people. They were harsh. Again, we can't express and search the the depths of God's love. Sometimes, again, as believers, sometimes we do the same thing. And we also live in a culture, if you think about this, that's largely said the same thing to God. Either you don't exist, or you made me, this way and I wanted to be that way we see that a lot Um, we see that in the culture I got a lot of Christian parents that come to me and talk to me about what their kids are learning in school if it's not outright atheism or hostility it's you know you were made wrong you know out, out of all thousands of years all of a sudden we have an issue now with with the biology that God has given us listen we're not one of those Westboro Baptist ministries We don't make fun of people. We don't criticize people, especially those that are struggling. But what do we do as Christians? We want to show them the truth. We want to say, give God a chance. I know what you learned in school. I know what academia is teaching. And they keep recycling through it. But this is what the Word of God is teaching. It's causing a lot of confusion. Now, my wife and I and many in this church have been ministering to the LGBTQ community. My wife and I have taken people in. We've loved them. They've stayed over our house. We've counseled them. So there's no animosity or hate here because now everything that you say that goes against what academia is teaching is hate speech. We've been there for them. We've opened up our hearts and our homes. But the bottom line is I don't criticize a person who's struggling. Let me make that clear. I'll probably say that a few times. But the issue is what the culture is teaching. And now it's, it's younger and younger, seven and eight years old, Right? Puberty blockers. We don't know the consequences of puberty blockers. Um, giving seven and eight-year-olds that are female male hormones or males female hormones. Gender reassignment surgery. I'm seeing the videos that are starting to surface of people that said, I was pushed into this by these groups, by the culture, and pleading on these videos, I made a huge mistake. Don't make the same mistake I'm making. So... We have to push back, not against people who are struggling, but what the culture, what the forces are trying to do to our children, to brainwash them. It's not healthy. You start pumping kids up with all these drugs, in addition to the the hormones and the puberty blockers, then psych drugs, and then these radical surgeries. What's happening is it, it causes terrible feelings inside. You read some of these drugs, and it says may cause suicidal uh, tendencies. So... I would say this, give God a chance. You know, somebody comes to me and I say, you know, let's go back to what the scripture says. And quite frankly, if you're an adult, do whatever you want. I'm, I'm, you know, do whatever you want as an adult. But don't start pushing this on our children, right? Because it's causing, it's causing a lot of problems. It's causing a lot of bad feelings. And it's not a good thing. God's way is always right. You know, there's, there are those in society that are saying, well, I don't like the ethnicity you, you birthed me into. I don't even like being a human being. People are experimenting. Now I go to Europe and these other countries with hybridizing people with animals, you know, trying to morph the genetic information. There's a lot of failures. 
or morph people with robots like the Terminator. The future is scary. I mean, the technology we have is incredible, what we can do at the genetic level. But it's actually kind of frightening if it's unchecked. The Nazis did that, you know, with the, with the limited information that they had. What are we doing? You know, you look at the abortion industry and then the selling of, of body parts. I can't even say from the pulpit the descriptions that I've read about the things that investigators have found in these clinics. It's, it's, it's just not appropriate from the pulpit. What are we doing as a society? We're shaking our fist at God and saying, I don't care what you say. I don't care what you made. I'm going to do my own thing. So again, I go back to, I don't think a lot of people are atheists. I just think they're agnostic. I think they don't want God. They don't want to, to submit to a God and, and what he may demand from us in his word. It's a very challenging time. And folks, we've got to get with the program. We've got to love people. We've got to build bridges. We've got to let them know that there's alternate information out there than what they're being brainwashed and crammed with in the media and academia. When I grew up, there were two genders. Now we're up to 63. And I read them all. And again, I'm not trying to be funny, but it just keeps rising. Where are we going with this, folks? It's opening all kinds of doors in a Pandora's box. And it's scary. Continuing on. Every generation does this. They, they shake their fist at God and they say, no, we're going to do it our way. But when you put all the technology together, what we have, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. 14 says, Thus says the Lord, the labor of Egypt and merchandise of Cush and of the Sabaeans, men of stature, shall come over to you and they shall be yours. They shall walk behind you, they shall come over in chains, and they shall bow down to you. They will make supplication to you, saying, Surely God is in you, and there is no other. There is no other God. Truly you are God who hide yourself, O God of Israel, the Savior. They shall be ashamed, also disgraced, all of them. They shall go in confusion together, who are makers of idols. But Israel shall be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You shall not be ashamed or disgraced forever and ever. So three out of five is that the idolaters will suffer but have an opportunity to change. And again, I find myself, I'm not defending God. I don't need to defend God. But we've, our culture, you know, when King Josiah found the Bible and he started reading it, he literally ripped his clothes. He says, oh my goodness, I'm paraphrasing. I know what's going on in our culture, but this is what God's Word says, and boy, we're in trouble if we don't repent. And I think it's like you know, putting the frog in the pot and turning the heat up slowly. We're at the boiling point in our culture. Especially young people, they're like, well, what does, God, what does that mean? What does God's Word say? Because it's, so, it's been kind of sanitized. Or you know, there was um, a, a preacher, it was Greg Laurie, who there was a billboard of him holding up a Bible in California, and there's this legal battle going on saying you've got to take that down because people find the Bible offensive. This is like Josiah's, you know, King Josiah. This was what was going on. He finds a Bible. He reads it. He's like, wow, I didn't know this stuff. So it's not God's fault. It's the culture's fault and where we're going. Where we're going. But other nations, because of their idolatry, and understand part of the idolatry uh, encompassed child abuse. And again, things I can't say from the pulpit. You can read up on it. When the Jewish people started following some of the pagan practices, unfortunately, the, the, those in society that were the most vulnerable, the children, there was practices that led to child deaths in sacrificing these children to these fake gods. So again, don't feel sorry for the idolaters. This was bad stuff, and God said, enough is enough. I've got to end this. Um, and what was happening is, if you look at Babylon, if you ever look at a map, and I, I would encourage you to do this, go into your search engine, put in Babylonian Empire. Well, it, it spread pretty far. Then put in Persian Empire, spread further. The Grecian Empire, even further. The Romans, even further. So each successive empire, they learned how to take more land. So if you look at some of these nations, understand that between the Babylonian Empire and the Persian Empire, some of these people groups that are mentioned here unfortunately got caught up in it, and they were, like the Jews were, they were enslaved. They were chained, right? But God was saying that these people groups in their suffering would see how all of a sudden God freed the Israelites and they would start to ask questions. Your God did this? 
and, and he did it through Cyrus? Tell me more. And it was really neat because it was a, a witnessing opportunity. Understand, and we don't like this, God can reach us in prosperity. He can also reach us in trial. And sometimes when we don't pay attention in prosperity, he's got to go to plan B. But the goal is to save our souls. Understand? Now, folks, I'm with you. In the flesh, I read some things and I'm like, ah. Or things go on in my life and I'm like, ah. But I'm not going to question God's judgment in my life. You see what I'm saying? Um, I've been through some horrible things in my life, but I don't hold that against God. I'm just glad of where I am now in my state of salvation. You see what I'm saying? And I know eternity, when I spend that with Him, you can't count the years. Eternity just goes on forever. So that's really the goal. People make this world their idol and their everything and their utopia, but it's, it's the next. And you know what's really cool? Not only is God going to make this beautiful new city of Jerusalem, gorgeous, three dimensions, He's going to remake the heavens and the earth. No more earthquakes, no more death. So there'll be this situation where we can kind of be on earth, we can go into the city, we're in His presence. Like it's, you have to read it in Revelation. It's really fascinating. So much better than what we're dealing with. Never bad weather anymore, you know what I'm saying? No poverty, no cancer. All that stuff is gone in God's kingdom, and, and we can't wait for it. So, while the world was going mad, war after war after war, God was still reaching people. He was still reaching people. Verse 18, continuing on. It says, For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I did not say to the seed of Jacob, who later became Israel, seek me in vain or in a waste place. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. Assemble yourselves and come, draw near together. You who have escaped from the nations, they have no knowledge, who carry the wood of their carved image, the idols that they made, and pray to a God that cannot save. Tell and bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient time? Who has told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no other God beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none besides me. So four out of five is that God blesses the faithful, but you have to believe in Him and trust in Him to get those benefits. It's like any other relationship. When you have a relationship with God, that active relationship with Him, the living God, there are blessings that come with that. There's promises that come with that. But you have to be His. And again, we live in a culture that's pluralistic, that's um, polytheistic. God says there's only one God. And he even says through the Scripture, test me, prove me. Look at my prophecies. Can anybody else do that? I have a lot of religious books at home that when I was seeking, I went through them. There's nothing like what's in the Word of God. There's no comparison. right? He says in verse 18 and 19, I didn't create the earth for no reason. right? He didn't ask people to seek Him for no reason. Because God is the God of order. He's the God of purpose. And He's the God of promise. And that's what we have to understand. When we take that leap and accept Him, accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, amazing things happen. Amazing things happen. At 50 years old, I I lived half my life as a pagan and half my life as a Christian. And uh, not that I have major regrets, but I, I thought, gee, what if during the college years I accepted Him? What if as a teenager I accepted Him? You know, how would things be better? You know, for me, in in the struggling time as a new believer, you know, the more we sin, the more we rebel against God. It just builds up this this dirty laundry. It builds up this history. It builds up this this burden. But you know what? Christ can free us from those burdens. So it's something to consider. Something to consider. God also says that He doesn't say or do things in secret or in the darkness. He does them out of the open. And the importance of this was for the Gentiles and the idol worshipers, the pagans at the time, to see this great work that he was doing and to to ask questions about him. Whether his people, some of them, 
accepted it or not or liked it or not, he's like, I'm going to save everybody. That's my goal, to save everyone. He had that idea in the Old Testament, that concept, and he also has it in the New Testament through Christ. And, and he sent his disciples out. It was a big tent Christianity. They went everywhere. They were in Europe. They were in uh, the Far East. They were in Africa. The disciples went everywhere to spread this good news of salvation. Now, I want to just cover two quick scriptures here. Uh, Jeremiah 29.13. And this is really, it's one scripture, but the latter part of it, I think, is, has the most punch to it. God says, and you will seek me, and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Now that's important, because some people say, well, I tried this, and I tried that, and I, I prayed once, and nothing happened, and God says you need to seek me with your whole heart. His love, his grace, his compassion is not cheap. You know, you, you really have to give your heart to him. And a lot of people do religious rites and rituals because they're easy. You do them on a Sunday morning, say this, drink this, do that, um, and you'll be fine. But God is saying, I want you all week. He's not trying to be mean. He wants you. He loves you. He wants your heart. He wants a relationship. Think about this. Think about the relationship, everybody right now, the most important relationship in your life, the person that you love so much that if you were to be separated, it would cause so much pain. Now think that God gave you the ability to have that relationship. So why would he want any less from us and him? Right? It's, it's common sense. So verses, uh, so that, that's the one scripture. Hebrews 11.6 is another one. It says, so one in the Old Testament, one in the New. It says, but without faith... It is impossible to please him, meaning please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, number one, that he exists, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So you see this criteria. God, again, it's not cheap love. It's not cheap grace. These are things that we, 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 we want to, to... We read the Scripture. You did promise me eternal life. We hold on to that. We don't say once we're saved, well, do, do I really know if I'm going to heaven? God's like, you've got to hold on to those promises. You've got to believe that I am and I can do these things. And I can raise you from the dead. We have to believe these things. And we have to believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Verse 22, continuing on in Isaiah. If you're new to the scripture, it can be a little... There's a lot in here. There's history, there's prophecy, there's personal promises. You know, don't get frustrated. You know, this is a very deep, deep book. This is a book that some churches, and I've, I've heard this, that people have asked the clergy to teach, and they're like, nah, it's not, it's not going to be good for our congregation. They have all these ideas in their heads. Somebody might get offended. Um, it might not bring the crowds in. This is deep stuff. So if you've walked in here and you're, you're struggling a little bit with it, keep with it. This is God's Word. I mean, seriously, do we take up something that we enjoy doing or a relationship, a difficult relationship, right? And just give up on people, give up on the things that we love? Why do people have that towards God? You know what I'm saying? There's a lot in here, folks. You're not going to grasp it overnight. That's why the Bible says when you're born again, you're like a baby. There's a little baby back there, Right? What does the baby know? Well, that looks like dad. That looks like mom. That's about it. They're not saying anything. They're not walking. They're not doing calculus, right? So when the Bible speaks about us, when we're born again, and this is what it comes from, we turn to the living God and we, I don't know, we're 50, we're 60, we're 20. We don't really know much, but we're like babies. And God, spiritually, and God trains us up. And, and we start to grow and, and mature in him. Very different than the, than the physical life and the physical walk. See what I'm saying? Completely different situation. But there's a parallel there. So verse 22, he says, But you have not called upon me, O Jacob, and... Y Excuse me, I'm in the wrong chapter. <laughs> Happens sometimes. But you know what? In one verse, I knew enough to know I wasn't in the right place. 
You know what I'm saying? But that's the cool thing about the Scripture. It's like you get to know the Bible inside and out. You, you can memorize parts of it. It's in your soul. It's in your blood. It's in your spiritual DNA. It doesn't leave you. I don't care. They, if, like California, you know, if they want to come here and make Bibles illegal and say you can't say certain things from the pulpit, I guess I'm going to jail. You know what I'm saying? I've done prison ministry, so I know what an inside of a prison looks like. But I, I just, in my conscience, I can't stop what I'm doing because of persecution. And don't be surprised if it doesn't come here. We're obstructionists, people who really have an honest-to-goodness relationship with Christ to what the world is trying to do, where the globalists are trying to go, the system that's going to be set up for the Antichrist. And, and churches are going to be told to toe the line. I did a lot of studies on Nazi Germany, and half the church, sadly enough, went with the Nazis. They were afraid. And there's pictures of churches where they took the crosses down and put the swastika up. But they told them, if you don't let us do this, you're going to the concentration camps. Do you know that there was a whole pastor's barracks? Did you know that? I think it was in Dachau. Um, the priests, pastors, ministers who didn't toe the line were rounded up. They were killed too. A lot of people don't know that. So when, listen, it's so easy in America right now to just be, oh, I'll check out this church or that church or I'll go somewhere where they make me feel good on a Sunday morning. But is this something that's in our DNA? You know, is it something that we're, we caught and we understand and it becomes a lifestyle? Those are the questions. So verse 22, it says, God says to me, <laughs> one verse, powerful, Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. You know, Isaiah's scroll went everywhere. In the New Testament, Philip found the Ethiopian treasurer in Africa in the area with the Isaiah scroll, and he's reading it. And he's like, I really want to grasp this, and Philip helps him with it. Isaiah's scroll went everywhere. So God is saying, make copies of this and send it out. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. I love everyone on the planet. For I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That to me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall take an oath. He shall say, surely in the Lord I have righteousness and strength. To him men shall come and all shall be ashamed who are incensed against him. In the Lord all the descendants of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. Now understand, it's only the end of the chapter. Isaiah's scroll was to be read from start to finish. So, I do it for time. That's probably why the chapter delineations were put in there, for time's sake. But we want to go through this whole book. So, five out of five is this clarion call for all humanity to be, humanity to be saved before it's too late. Okay? And that's why he sent his Savior, his Son, into the world. That's why he sent Jesus Christ into the world. That it was even retroactive. Even the Old Testament saints could not go straight to heaven and be in God's presence until Christ died for their sins as well. Incredible. From his point in time, back and forward to our point in time as well. And again, I get people come to me and it's okay. I, I, I'm patient. Um, they're like, well, I didn't, I didn't realize that even in the Old Testament... I thought that God just cared about the Jewish people. And these are legitimate questions. No. <laughs> Where did you hear that from? You know what I'm saying? I suppose if we get our information from TV or bad preaching, we can come to those conclusions. But the, God wants everyone to be saved. And people say to me, well, I think God plays favorites. No, no, no. Come here, read this. <laughs> All you ends of the earth. He doesn't play favorites. Bible literacy is so, so important. And this is incredible too because... In John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus, in this whole chapter, you understand that John 3.16 comes from a conversation that Jesus had with a high religious leader who had questions, saw the miracles of Jesus, didn't understand the nexus, so He goes to Jesus at night and asks all these questions like a child, and Jesus answers them for Him. And he says to Nicodemus, this religious leaders, even in Numbers, in, in the Old Testament, when the children of Israel were being bit and they were dying from these poisonous snakes, that the idea was to take this pole, right? Pole from a tree, and put that, this golden serpent up on it or this bronze serpent 
And again, it was symbolic. It really had nothing to do with the pole. But if the people looked at it and believed that this would be their cure, all of a sudden, everybody started getting healed. Jesus said, by the same token, the Son of Man must be lifted up on a tree, on a pole. And when we, because I didn't see it, it happened a long time ago. But when we look back to that sacrifice and believe that Jesus died for our sins, we're saved. That's the only fair system. You know, people say, well, I think it's more fair that if everybody can believe what they want to believe. Okay, some religions work very hard. Every day they're out there. And some are like the couch potato religions. They don't really do anything. Is that really a fair system? Think about that. Right? Some can do a lot of good works. Maybe they're wealthy. Maybe good works is no big deal. They just keep shelling out money. Hey, I'm going to get a good spot in heaven. God's like, no, it doesn't work like that. You could be disabled. You could have no friends left. But if you believe in Christ and what He did for you, that makes it even for everyone. He really has the, the most fair system around, if you think about it. So, verse 23, God says, I have sworn by myself. <laughs> People swear by God, but if you're God, who do you swear by? You're the most reliable one anywhere. <laughs> so, God says, I swear by myself. Because there's no one higher and there's no one more reliable. And he looks to a future time where every knee shall bow and every tongue will take an oath. Let's go to Philippians 2, which is our last scripture for the morning. Philippians 2, its New Testament counterpart. Verse 9, it says, Therefore God also has highly exalted him, meaning Jesus, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, now this is a future occurrence, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is why it's so important for us to love people, build bridges, and show them that there's another way than what they're hearing from the world. Don't worry about it. When you die, okay, don't worry about it when you die. Well, there's no do-overs. What do you mean? That's a horrible thing to tell people. You know what I'm saying? It's okay. You didn't kill anybody. That's not the criteria. The criteria is our sins must be paid for for us to be in full fellowship and contact with the living God. And that can only happen through Christ. Um, And again, it speaks about those that will willingly come to him and those that in verse 24 will be incensed against him. It says they shall be ashamed. And we see this in some of uh, Jesus' parables. Quite a few of the parables where Jesus tells this, this story, but it's, it's meant to convey a spiritual truth. That there are, when the Lord comes back, there will be those that are still going to rebel against Him. They'll see the miracles. They'll see Him come in, in the clouds. They'll see the power. And they'll still, uh, in Revelation, it says, some will actually hide in the mountain crags and say to the mountains, fall on us. Because they just have this vis- visceral hatred towards God. This is why I say I don't believe a lot of people are atheists. Because... If a person doesn't believe in God and you say you do believe in God, are you hurting them? You know, um, if James believed in the Easter Bunny and I don't really think there is an Easter Bunny and we have a debate and he really holds firmly to that belief system, okay, you want to believe in the Easter Bunny, go ahead, but you're wrong. (laughs) I'm not going to get angry at him i'm not gonna my face turns red you ever meet somebody who doesn't believe in god but they get incensed you're not really even saying anything jesus loves you oh tell me that jesus loves me you know what i'm saying so what does that tell you it tells you that it's cognitive dissonance which i've been covering the last few services they know inside that there really is a god but they also know that if they they come to him they might have to change their life a little bit things might have to change. They may have to submit to a higher power than themselves. So that anger that wells up is not because they don't believe. You can believe whatever you want. I don't care. I'm not going to get it. I don't care what you believe. You can believe in UFOs. You can believe in the Easter Bunny. I'm not going to get mad at anybody. But the, it, the visceral anger comes from the fact that they know deep down inside that there is truth to that. But they don't want to be confronted with it. So even at the end, it'll still be this, this type of situation. Listen, the message is titled, The New Era. It was for the Israelites. 
God was ready to deliver them. They had repented. It was a joyous situation. But what about you? What about you? Does everybody here know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior? If you feel uncomfortable, you can get up and walk out. I'm not forcing you to stay in the seat. But it's something you need to consider. Because one day we're all going to perish. I don't get any benefit from this. As a matter of fact, I get people who are angry who say you're being myopic. You're saying that that's the only way. That's very narrow-minded. I'm telling you what God says. So if anything, I've lost friends. I've lost business associates because I, heard, I, I hold very firm to my belief system. I'm telling you that none of us have anything to gain by you coming to faith. But you have everything to gain. You have everlasting life. You have eternity. You have the ability to pass over death like Jesus says in his word. So I want to encourage you. This could be today, could be your new era with the Lord. You might have walked in here, honestly, a religious person, a denominational person, really not knowing God. But now you're faced with the prospect of, an, of a true relationship with the God who created you. Come home to him. Let this be your new era. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.